Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. I met our next guest at an ASCAP event the year I moved to LA right after she did the music for Epic Games' Fortnite. Since then, she's become the musical voice of superhero projects ranging from summer blockbuster Captain Marvel to shows including DC's Stargirl and Superman prequel Krypton. She's also been nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Music Composition for a Documentary for her score to HBO's McMillions, and the composer is Pinar Toprak. Hello. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Pinar, I know in these kind of stressful times uh, that you've said in the past that you're uh, the thing that clears your mind is sailing and you have a love for it. Are you more of a monohull right. or a catamaran fan? Monohull. Monohull? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. And what is it about sailing that, that clears the mind or that relaxes? Um, for one thing, the, well, uh, there, are a lot, there are a lot of things. Um, the lack of humans around <laughs> is a great thing. Um, I, I like Actually, these times kind of work for me because I like being in solitude or with just, you know, small group of people. And uh, and I find that silence is the hardest thing to find in our world. And I mm. live in a very um, chronically busy world, obviously, by nature of what I do. But also just where we live and the lives we lead, it's, it's, it's a pretty noisy world. So to get out, and my favorite time is when I finally get out of the, the marina and uh, sails are up and I turn the engine off there's just this like my soul just lifts it's, it's amazing you just hear the the sound of the the waves <laughs> hitting the hitting the boat and that's that's it and um and, it's, it's, and there's something about I mean it still it mesmerizes me when we're going with the power of the wind alone mm-hmm. you know there's it's just I don't know there's something really empowering and beautiful and romantic about it um time kind of stops which I love Mm-hmm. And in those kinds of moments, do you ever get like musically inspired too, or like struck with an idea? It's happened a couple of times, although I actually, I really try to not think of music when I'm not writing music, when I was not supposed to write something. And I think actually it helps my writing when I do need to write something because I need that space where it's just clear, you know, I, I need to clear my head and get away from it. But, you know, my time in the studio actually matters. Otherwise, I get worn out. Right. It's like a nice creative reset. Absolutely. Nice. So in terms of your musical journey, you started playing piano at a pretty young age and did the conservatoire thing. It was actually the, my first instrument was uh, violin. Violin. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty tiny. Um, and then I was playing piano all throughout pretty much. Uh, but my degree at the conservatory was in classical guitar. Um, and then at Berkeley was piano film scoring and yeah i know you've talked a lot about getting a prince of uh, egypt the score while you were at berkeley right uh what other scores did you check out at that time too oh everything so this is before uh you know not to age myself but you know i guess i can age myself uh this is before the days of you know 
Spotify's and YouTube and all of these things. So um, I wanted to get access to however you know many soundtracks I could have access to. So I got a job when I was at Berkeley at the, the media center because they had all the, the CD catalog, right? So I could just, while I was working, you know, I was also allowed to like check out a lot more. And so I was listening to everything. Um, that was actually, um, I know in terms of my favorites growing up, I've, I've had a lot. I'm a huge, um, obviously huge fan of John Williams, but crazy obsessed with Ennio Morricone and John Barry and like a lot, a lot of the older scores too. And, uh, and I tried to keep up with everything that was current. So my taste is very eclectic, but, um, I mean, you know, sometimes you get inspiration from, from the oddest things. I love, you know, I'm not a huge country listener, but I do love a few songs that have really inspired me just in their writing. And, you know, so I, I listen to everything, but film scores wise, a lot of superhero ones, like super, the first, uh, Superman for me in a 78 Donner one. Um, that was a huge influence. Um, yeah, there, there, I, I could, it was Cinema Purdy, so it was a big one. And, you know, I have a lot of home scores later on. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you were even there, did you have dreams of doing like big, big Hollywood films or just anything? Because it seems like you have a really diverse uh, range of scoring uh, projects you've done. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the, the goal was, um, I think the initial goal was I, I had this love for big Hollywood films, right? Growing up in Istanbul, I was in awe of, uh, you know, for example, like Independence Day and whatnot. You know, this is big, um, you know, grand scale films and the big orchestra and all of those. Um, so that that's always, I still love that very, very much. There's just something that, you know, I love about big soaring epic scores. Um, but I also have a bit of a, what I call a musical ADD. So I need to be working on different things. Um, Otherwise, if I'm just writing the same sort of style all the time, I get a little bored. And sometimes, you know, inspiration-wise too, you need to, I think it's good to be as diverse as as possible. And and right now I feel very grateful that I've gotten to work in different kinds of genres and and styles, keeps life more interesting. Mm. For sure. And uh, I imagine, so, I mean, right after you went to Berkeley, so you went to, to LA and you made that kind of a priority, right? Yeah. I mean, so my first, uh, my first spring break at Berkeley, I knew I wanted to, to kind of check out LA and see how life is there. So I came here to visit and it was already pretty apparent. I fell in love with the city. I know a lot of people have love and hate relationship with LA. Sometimes I personally love it. Um, and I knew as soon as I would graduate, I would move here. And obviously being the, the center of the entertainment industry, um, I always think I have this philosophy where you know, if you want to, if you want to go fishing, you have to go where the fish are. <laughs> so um, I want to just be around it. And in this city, you live and breathe it, which is, you know, sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing, because everywhere around us, you get reminded of the industry that we're in. Uh, but I, I actually, I do like that and uh, it just increases your odds in, in general. So um, that was 20 years. Actually, tomorrow is uh, August 19th will be 20 years in LA. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. And 
like did you have a goal of like assisting a bigger composer i know that you you said later that you wanted to to just go and work for hans but was was it the idea just to come here for like networking opportunities of all kinds or specifically to assist a bigger composer um i wanted to be around people that i've admired and i wanted to learn from mm. so it's not like oh my god i'm dying to assist it was more like okay where how can i be surrounded by that environment and assisting is definitely you know one of the most doable ways <laughs> when you're starting out your career and my first mm -hmm. job was actually um while i was getting my master's degree in la um i got an internship at paramount pictures music department and i worked there uh for most a year and that scoring stage sadly is no longer there but while i was there there were sessions pretty much every day so as an intern, you know, and I, I finished Berkeley a bit early, so I was about 19, 20 years old, you know, just graduated from college, and I got to be on a on a lot every day and listen to the sessions almost daily. So that was a really just incredibly valuable experience. And from there, and I also learned quite a bit about the business aspect of it, too, because my job was more about like music clearance side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned things that I definitely didn't know before so that was great uh, but I always knew that I wanted to actually be around Hans because he was a huge inspiration in terms of you know not only is his creativity but just the, the monopoly that he's created and uh, the success he's had and uh, really the, the kind of the, 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 the sonic world that I wanted to be around and learn from and uh, so I ended up getting a long long story but I ended up getting an internship for someone else that was there and they were doing uh, this, this sample library thing, which I got involved with. And then about, I want to say maybe about six months after, Hans uh, offered me a job to be in his programming team. So that's how that started. Yeah. And just in terms of like being a programmer on a team like that, are there any like musical tricks or, or approaches you learned that have served you well into your own composing career to this day? Yeah, I think it's sort of like, you know, um, if you've been a musician your whole life, you don't remember, especially if you started young, you don't remember when you first learned how to read music. I don't remember learning music. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing, right? right yeah. So uh, it's, it's the same thing happens with, with programming and things like that. Of course, technology was different back then. The tools we, we were using, like, for example, we used to, use a software called Giga Studio. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, you know, this is like pre-contact <laughs> time. Um, there were a lot of, I mean, the, the, the core of it is, is still the same, uh, but you kind of learn things along the way um, just by observing others and by trial and error. And, and as technology evolves, certain things get a lot easier and better sounding. Um, but yeah, you, I think it, it's just, that's the thing that I love about being in an atmosphere uh, where you know music lives and breathes because you're constantly learning without even realizing you're learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it seems like you've uh, you've always just been curious to like learn more, as as you mentioned earlier, in terms of like wanting to to move to LA for that reason. Uh, what are the other types of uh, I don't know, either like musical genres or musical interests that have been uh, piquing your interest as of recent? Honestly, I mean, it, it sounds pretty generic answer, but I, I listen to everything. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a huge jazz fan, so if it's just me in my car, I'm probably listening to jazz. Um, I also very much love um, like early music. I'm a huge fan of Renaissance and Baroque music. I listen to that a lot. Um, and then I just try to be on top of things because I'm always curious about what other people are doing. Um, so there's there's the kind of music I listen to just for my own personal pleasure, and there's the, the music I listen to, as, you know, for research purposes. So I try to look for okay, which TV shows are out there that people are responding to their scores, and you know the, the current films that are out there, and um, it's just really keeping up with the current market, so to speak. <laughs> so, but within right. that, you you do learn a lot, and I do I still. Um, very regularly study scores because I find that, you know, the way I was, you know, studying scores, you know, I was actually just last week, I was <laughs> studying Mahler's second because I love that. And I've studied so many times, but, you know, when I was 18, I looked at that score very differently um, than two decades later now, you know? So, um, so I, I do that quite a bit and I try to listen to every genre because, I feel that our ears are our our primary instrument and our more, most in, important instrument. So we need to just input as much information as we can. And while I'm writing, sometimes I don't even realize that, you know, if you've been exposed to different kinds, different styles, while you write, it shows. It kind of comes out somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I spoke to John Powell. He talked a lot about taking influences from different uh different genres or just different worlds and if you take one or at least two different things and have them clash then you can get something so brand new and sometimes it'll try to kill you but it can be beautiful yeah exactly i mean i think that's the beautiful thing about making music these days where there really are no boundaries you know just just the fusion of different styles and different different cultures you know i mean there i'm i'm turkish so there's different just even the melodic structures are different Mm. uh and you know the kind of music that I, I grew up with originally. And um, there, there's so much to learn. It's, it's kind of overwhelming. For sure. Well, in terms of uh, just the different amounts of uh, experience then there, um, I think 99 Nights might have been one of the, the coolest bits of music for me that I was just like fell in love with. Oh, I love that. Thank you. And that was right before, or that led to you getting your first agent, right? Yeah. So yeah. how did you go about getting the game, um, I guess, on your own? Well, that was really random. So um, it was the, the producer basically was handed a CD of my music. And um, my my now ex-husband, then husband, he, you know, he has, any good husband should, had a whole bunch of my promo CDs with him. And um, he was working on some post-production thing and he overheard them looking for a composer and he just gave my CDs. It was really random. It, and I, at this point, hadn't really done anything, mm-hmm. you know, too significant at that point. Um, so it was, it was kind of luck and also, you know, them just re- responding to, to the, to the demo CD. So, and after that, they really gave me quite a bit of freedom to create the score. I was really, I mean, I remember I was, 23 24 or something at wow. the time when i was scoring this so it was, it was a huge huge deal and it, it, that theme still actually has a very special place in my heart listening back it brings back memories and it started things off for me so 
it's always going to be very special for me. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. And was there, I mean, I guess at that point you, you'd been seeing how films had been made. Had you assisted anyone on video games or seen the process or did you just completely go fresh? I was, I was very fresh. I mean, honestly, I wasn't even, I wouldn't have even known how to get a video game at that point. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I was more in the film world and that's what I was focusing on. I was trying to get some short films and you know, student films and things like that. I wouldn't have even known like, okay, who do you even write to or, you know, who, how, where do you send your music? So this is very random and I didn't know much about the, the process. Um, and at that point, I'm trying to think, I don't think they even really talked about like at school and whatnot, like the actual technicalities that go into delivering uh, a video game. So I learned on the job pretty much. Mm. And for those who aren't so familiar with that, like what are some of the technicalities? Is it just in terms of like delivering like stair or surround stems or is it more than that in terms of the writing process? So it's more about, um, so in in a video game, you might have some cinematics, which are very much like, you know, like an animated film, right? It's it's linear. It has a beginning and end. You know what, what the story is saying. And now you have the game itself where, it's dynamic. It can evolve or you're going in any direction. You know, it can be more intense. It can, you don't really know where it will go. So it, the music needs to be able to go in whatever direction the game is going. Mm-hmm. So in order for that to happen, um, we're asked to, to deliver sort of like different intensity levels and different, I want to say, food groups. So you might have your 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 strings and your percussion, your brass or whatever the the, the, the you know, if it's an electronic score, you want to split it up as much as possible so that the programmers and the music is also loopable. So it it needs to be able to be very flexible. And so you have to be more careful about the key changes and the tempos and all of that. Um, but in terms of the inspiration and the, the composition process, I mean, that, that part is similar. You just need to think more about, okay, this can't, this is not just like a free form, you know, writing. It needs to be uh, able to fit the gameplay. Right. But I guess in doing so, that does affect the type of storytelling you're doing too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you just need to be a lot more flexible, I guess, in, in, the, in the way you write. Because, you know, in a linear form, you know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this one, it can kind of go in any, any direction. So requires a bit more thinking, but yeah. Gotcha. Do you have like a a love for video games too? I mean, obviously you, you worked on Fortnite as well. Um, right. But do you uh, do you have any like preference, or does it just depend on the season? Or <laughs> yeah, I used to play a lot of video games. So I was the you know I wasn't like the, the super social kid. I just I like being in my world, writing music, and I just played video games. Um, which is very weird for, you know, especially like a, you know, Turkish girl in the eighties and nineties, you know? Um, but yeah, I love, um, I still love some of the older stuff, like even like street fighter two, I'll keep playing that. You know, some arcade, I actually have this arcade machine and everything. Um, I love car racing games. That's kind of my thing. It really clears my head. Um, I, I try to play, you know, when I have time, I just don't have as much time as I used to when I was younger, but I enjoy it very much. And, 
yeah, it's just a great, great form of escape. And they're looking and sounding better and better, which is just really cool. Yeah, it's really interesting to see the storytelling going on in the video game world right now. And also just yeah. the creative music choices. Yeah, and they're just really cinematic, massive looking. It's just it's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess um, in terms of the the music needed for like a game like Fortnite, what was the um, what were the expectations going in, and like what was the uh, the goal musically? Well, the goal was, um, I mean, there 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 were there were different themes and different vibes that we were trying to to create, you know, for for the storm and the monsters, you know, all of that. That we had different kinds of musical ideas, but the original score. Uh, was pretty orchestral. We had, we had a I don't know sixty something piece orchestra that 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 I wrote, and um, yeah, it was it, it was interesting because we had no idea how. When I had no idea, I, I knew it was a pretty cool game, but I don't think anybody could have anticipated how huge it was, was going to get. So, um, and I'm kind of glad I didn't know because I think it would have psyched me out a little bit while I was writing. <laughs> right? Do you get pretty nervous when you start approaching a score? Always, always. And there's always a moment where I think, oh, maybe I forgot how to write music. And then um, miraculously, something happens. It's it's really interesting. Um, just something clicks and then it kind of unravels from there. It's just kind of cool. Hmm. Have you found any uh, type of like repeating pattern in like the, in the part of the process where, where everything starts to click or like what it is like either just mentally like what you have to do to get, to get there? Before I start a project, I, if it's an already uh, it's a film that's already, you know, that has a rough cut, for example, something that I can actually like, really see. Sometimes I I write things based on the script and writing suites and stuff, so it's uh, a lot more of my imagination. But if it's a rough cut, I try to watch it many, many times mm-hmm. um, just to really, really understand it, you know, and um, absorb it. And then I kind of live with it. You know, if I have the luxury of time a little bit, even if, even if it's a couple of days, I just kind of live with it without writing anything. Um, and, and sometimes it's just literally me. I, in the inspiration in the theme writing phase, I actually start by the piano there. Um, I just, I just play a whole bunch of ideas on the piano and my piano has the, the MIDI connections. So I just kind of r- roll it and 80%, 90% might be awful, but within it, there might be some little idea that, you know, when I listen back, I'm like, oh, this is actually, this could kind of become something. Hmm. Um, I think it's just, it's really all about the very first thing, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an artist at all in terms, you know, visual artist, but I always wonder if, with uh, someone with a blank canvas, you know, when they have this big white canvas they're looking at, what's the first stroke? How do they know the first place where they need to start? And then you realize once they start with the first thing, then it just kind of opens up from there. So it's it's really the, the same thing when I write. It's about figuring out what that first first stroke is, that first thing is. So, uh, and then, you know, within it, sometimes you encounter scenes where you need to kind of crack the code, you know, so to speak. Sometimes, you know, they can be more challenging than others and some of them come really easily. Um, it, it all depends, but I think it's, I, I need to quiet myself. I mm-hmm. think the first thing I need to understand the film 
I need to understand what it is that I'm trying to achieve and the heart of the story. Like, what is the ultimate feeling that I want people to feel at the end of this? Um, I think that's the first thing I try to figure out. And then from there, you sort of reverse engineer everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, on that, so for um, for Captain Marvel, you did something pretty crazy, which is that you booked a full orchestra for the pitch. And right. correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you kind of came up with the theme and that's what you sent over? Yes, I, I actually changed the, the theme after I got the film. But okay. in order to get the film, um, I... Yes, I hired a 70-piece orchestra. Um, but I wanted to, here, here, my thought process was, obviously this sort of genre, this film, I wanted it and it was very obvious how badly I wanted it. But it is a huge film. So I wasn't sure, if, you know, obviously I wasn't going to be in the room with, you know, with, with Kevin Feige or the directors or anybody else. At that point, it's just a pitch. Um, so. I figured, okay, I need to make an impact somehow. I don't want to just send the music. And I also want them to see that I can handle the orchestra and I can handle the electronic elements and all of that. So I didn't tell anybody what it was for. The um, the cues were named Demo 1, Demo 2, and everybody's like, this is a big demo. Um, <laughs> and um, I hired this video crew to shoot it so this way they would see me conduct and everything. And I also did another video in my studio where I talked about the character and kind of my point of view on on uh, on the story. Because by this point, I had actually, in order to audition for the film, I passed. I had to pass the Marvel security, uh, so I had read the script um, over there at Marvel. By the way, they, they don't send a script out or anything. You have to go there in person, <laughs> you know, with someone watching you. It's pretty intense. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I wrote that demo in order, you know, in hopes to basically make an, uh, an impression. And I figured even if it doesn't work for this one, hopefully it'll work for something else in the future. So for me, demoing is never a waste. I've never wasted time writing a demo. It's always, you know, a lot of times you're writing a demo because you might not have something in your existing reel that represents that thing. and. You know, so that means that by just doing the demo alone, you're going to you're going to evolve. You're going to do something that you haven't done before. So hmm. uh, I I tend to like that anyway. But so after the demo, once it actually worked out and then I saw um, the rough cut of the film. I want it seem to be the, the theme to be a lot. I don't know, it, it just didn't feel right what I wrote in the original demo. Uh, now that I actually got a sense of, you know, the whole thing. And uh, so, and then of course, I went into my little panic mode and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to write this theme. And that's it. I've, <laughs> I've disappointed everyone. Um, but uh, so what I did was I, after being stuck in the studio for a couple of days, trying so many different ideas for the theme and not being happy, I just said, okay, I need to just silence my head and I need to just get out and walk, which is something I, I do uh, regularly. Mm-hmm. Every day, pretty much I go out for a walk. Um, and I just started like humming the theme, <laughs> you know, uh, to myself and was totally insane doing it. Um, and then I came up with a theme that it just sort of clicked. It's like in that moment where I was like, oh, okay, it's actually 
like, I don't hate this. This is okay. <laughs> and then I, I, mean, I recorded on a voice memo and then uh, my phone and then I came in the studio and then I arranged the whole thing. But, you know, sometimes I think it's good to remove yourself from a situation when you feel a bit stuck and it happens to everyone who's in the creative field. Uh, I don't know a single person who's a creator that doesn't get stuck. Mm -hmm. They say so. They're probably lying or they're, I don't know. But um, we all get stuck and it's figuring out ways to get unstuck. And that's different for everybody. Right. Yeah, I mean, I only spent a little bit of time at, uh, at Remote Control Productions, but it was amazing to me just the amount of hours people work, like just the 20-hour days sometimes that people go through. Um, right. And it's funny that sometimes not being in front of the computer and not being in front of a keyboard sometimes is the thing that can help you get that spark. I'm a huge fan of, maybe I'm getting older, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm a huge fan of efficiency. Mm. Um, and I don't think, um, you know, 20 years ago when I first started here, I think there was almost a medal of um, honor or medal of whatever, like a badge of honor when you're not sleeping. Like, oh, I didn't sleep at all last night. Like, yeah, man, I didn't sleep either. <laughs> you know? um, but I think, you know, what happens, everybody gets worn out and there's, and mental health is not, is not talked about enough. You know, people get depressed, people get anxious, people just get unhappy. Um, and for me, I love music very much. That's the one thing that's been the one constant thing in my life forever i'll always love it but i also love life very much <laughs> you know i like having a human experience so over the years i've just become i still get the work done everything gets done um but i've figured out ways to be very efficient you know that can be like for example if i'm not if i have a little bit of a time off between projects and things i'm really streamlining my template mm -hmm. um to the point where I spend, and also same thing for, for my assistants too, is that I, I don't want them, I want them to go see their girlfriends, boyfriends, have a, have a normal life and sleep. You know, sleep is important. So if, if things are efficiently done, um, everybody can have more of a human experience. So when they do show up to work, um, you just show up better, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah, you're 100% there and not, falling asleep at the keyboard <laughs> exactly yeah 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 do you think that um there is value in putting in those hours earlier on in your career so that you can enjoy life later or do you feel like it's not something that you should just like wait to do later and that you should prioritize as early as you can it depends you know i it's hard to say with my current you know i i am grateful that i went through that it's sort of like um you know, rite of passage, I guess. I'm grateful that I've, I've gone through those crazy hours and um, because I also needed to know that, okay, that's not necessary. You can still do things um, without working those many hours. But if you're going to have to do it, I think definitely earlier on is, is the time to do it. A, you're younger uh, and just the reality of life, the older you get, you know, it's, you just can't function on that little amount of sleep after a while and then you might also have a family you might have other responsibilities and things so when you're younger that's the time to do it um and you can always you know it's, it's not it's not slavery you can't get out <laughs> you know and i mean like they're not they don't own you there it's just uh, i think a lot of people feel like they, they feel like they're owned uh like they can't say no 
I actually really respect it when people say no, um, because it shows me that they have, they know their limits and they know their boundaries. And uh, I'm also against, you know, having people work crazy hours. If you have to make one person work insane hours, that means you really need to hire more help. Hmm. You know, it's um, it's just kind of as, as uh, I don't know. I have a different thought about all that, but definitely when you're younger, it's time to that is the time to take in all you can. So at the time, um, it was important for me to be around. I wanted to be the first person there and the last person to leave, um, because you're also trying to show them that that you are determined, you are dedicated and all of those things. Um, yeah, I just think that there are efficient, more efficient ways of doing that because life is pretty beautiful and pretty awesome. And I'm all for paying your dues when, when you need to pay them. But I think knowing limits and treating people right, they're, they're important things. It's amazing. Uh, well, I just have a couple of questions left before the, uh, the last segment for the podcast. But congratulations on McMillions. Thank you. Talk a bit about musically what what were some of the challenges in terms of getting to that moment that we kind of talked about earlier of like getting to the point where everything starts to make sense musically. Sure. Honestly, in the case of Macmillions, I was I was very lucky because James and Brian her the 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 filmmakers in the show and the the incredible brains behind it because they've insane what they've gone through you know for many years to actually uh make this uh documentary into reality and um they were they're very musical and they're musicians too so it was a really simple conversation very simple i don't know we just communicated really well and i knew from their camp what they were going for of course you know that was just a starting point after that i had some uh time to play around with it myself but we just we just really clicked. It was a great example of I mean that that doesn't always happen where you just start off and you write something and it just works and everybody's like oh yeah this works and you know I feel good about it they feel good about it that was the the experience with with Mac Millions and even with the main title main title was the first pass um, wow so it's just you know the first pass made it which is incredible. Um, so yeah, I mean it's just one of those really great synergies, I guess. It just it just happened. We just communicated well from the start, and just it just flew from there. Amazing. Were there a lot of like talks about the music before you even started writing? A bit, yeah. We we did quite. Uh, we have a we had a few uh, conversations about the overall style, what we wanted, you know, a bit of the Ocean's Eleven vibe, and you know, in terms of the the under dialogue, you know, the more atmospheric sound designy bits and the like a certain pulsating things under, you know, that we had uh, as many dialogues as possible to, I guess, to inspire me, but enough that I had my own, like they, they let me do my thing on top of it. So it was just a really beautiful collaboration. Gotcha. Uh, and then I did want to ask just in terms of uh, the post Captain Marvel, like craziness that I'm sure came up like were you finding life just got a lot busier after it what was that like yeah things things definitely got got quite busy after and uh, there was a time I had I mean even right around Macmillan's times I had six or seven projects at the same time um so that was kind of crazy but I thrive in chaos and uh so that that worked out well 
Mm-hmm. It's organized chaos. Right. Well, <laughs> I on that, underline that. How do you manage, uh, I guess, jumping from project to project, especially when a lot of them overlap? Um, I don't know. I think it's just, I mean, over time, you just kind of get better at turning one switch on, the other one off. Um, and I would have dedicated time for different projects. Um, and I would, I think it's really about kind of being mindful and doing what you're supposed to do at that point. So I got very good at you know, not responding to the texts or emails at certain times and just knowing, okay, now I'm working on this project for the next two hours. And then you really turn off distractions and, and focus on that. And then you, you also delegate, you know, the team gets bigger um, because no matter what, how efficient you are, there's, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. So um, I've, I've had, I've been very lucky with an awesome team that's helped me out. But I think it's really all about, you know, delegating and being as clean as possible. And I'm a huge fan of a little bit, a little too much, maybe too OCD sometimes with even organizing emails, because just the emails alone on that many, you know, projects, it's crazy to manage. You kind of forget, oh, this email is, you know, that regarding that cut and that, you know, just being really organized with it all and, uh, you know, being as present as you can be, I guess, with whatever you're doing. Cool. Uh, sounds great. And um, yeah, I think we're just going to go on to the, the last segment for the podcast now, a segment called Tech Talk, where I list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it. Sure. So, yeah. So the first one is uh, pretty simple, but DAW. Cubase. Nice. Uh, next, we've got Guitar Viol. It's right behind me. Oh, what did I use it on? I've used it um, a, a bit on Stargirl. I've used it on a couple other projects. Um, it's actually I just did something recently which I can't talk about. I use it on that. It's it's a really fun instrument. I'm learning more and more. I wish I played it better, but um, I'm I'm still exploring it and learning. It's an, it's a fantastic instrument. Right. Yeah, I'm a violinist uh, and guitarist too. So do you find that having both um, a knowledge in both that it it translates at all? Oh, absolutely. And I I play a tiny bit of cello oh. uh, and the violin. So I generally my world I'm comfortable around string instruments. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a cool, cool, cool instrument. You can do so much with it. Cool. Next one here. Oh, we talked a bit about it earlier, but Moog One. Yeah. Oh yeah, I got that when I was scoring Captain Marvel. When I found out that that it was going to be released, I was I was dying to to get a hold of one, and uh, I wanted to get the 16 voice one. I couldn't find one. I think they were like sold out everywhere, and I it was kind of insane. It made it. Uh, I got it like a month before I was finished with Captain Marvel, so it was enough of a time where I could still incorporate some things from it. But I was like, oh my god, I really need to get a, you know, get my hands on one, and uh, it's 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 really really cool. Cool. And last one I have here is uh, monitors. Right. Um, well, I have Dyn Audio. I forget what the model name is. I'm facing it. I have Dyn Audio, um, and I I technically have Surround happening, but I don't really use it. I just work in stereo. Technically available, but yeah. Right. Do you find it's not necessary because, like, when you go to record the orchestra, then like they just do it around there or can mix? Yeah, I mean, it's rare. I mean, I do some of my mock-up um, mixing. If, if, it, if it's something that's completely in the box and electronic, I do it here. Uh, but anything else, it doesn't get mixed in my studio. It gets, you know, generally mixed somewhere else. So I, um, 
tend to not work in, around. But it's good for you know, before the days of the pandemic when we all got together and you do a show and tell for the directors. It's, it's actually good to put things in place, you know, have the center dialogue and everything. So not everything is playing from the same two speakers. Nice. Well, you killed it here with Tech Talk. Uh, do you want to tell the people what else you've got going on? Um, a lot. I'm actually just finishing up something for Disney Plus, and I'm starting another film this week. One of those annoying things that you know you can't talk about. I'm also um, just before all of this, I wrote the theme for Epcot Disney World, and uh, when hopefully the world is slowly going back to normal, there's more work to be done with that. But um, yeah, there's some exciting things in the works. It's a weird time but it's all working out <laughs> well Pinar, it was such a pleasure having you on thank you so much likewise thanks for listening to this episode of composer talk if you like what we're doing feel free to follow us on instagram or facebook the show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible eric bard who's also a talented composer producer and mixer Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.